My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 143, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 23, and Song of Songs, chapter 8. 1 Kings 22. For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel, but in the third year Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight against Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First, seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king should not say such a thing, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, son of Canaan, had made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead or not? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, How many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked, I will give out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. 
So now the Lord had put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Canaan, went up and slapped Micaiah in his face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you, he asked. Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. The king of Israel then ordered, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah declared, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, Mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, every man to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at the pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. As for the other events of Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built and the adorned with ivory and the cities he fortified, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Israel? Ahab rested with his ancestors and Ahaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. Jehoshaphat's son of Asa became king of Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shili. In everything, he followed the way of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed, and the people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jehoshaphat was also at peace with the king of Israel. As for the other events of Jehoshaphat's reign, the things he achieved in his military exploits, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? He rid the land of the rest of the male shrine prostitutes who remained there, even after the reign of his father Asa. There was then no king in Edom. A provincial governor ruled. Now Jehoshaphat built a fleet of trading ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never set sail. They were wrecked at Ezion Geber. At that time, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my men sail with yours. But Jehoshaphat refused. Then Jehoshaphat rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, succeeded him as king. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel and Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he followed the ways of his father and mother and of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served the worshipped Baal and arose the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. Second Chronicles 23 
In the seventh year, Jehoda showed his strength. He made a covenant with the commanders of units of a hundred. Azariah, son of Jehoram, Ishmael, son of Jehoanah, Azariah, son of Obed, Messiah, son of Adahai, and Elishaphat, son of Zikri. They went through Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of Israelite families from all the towns. When they came to Jerusalem, the whole assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. Jehodia said to them, The king's son shall reign, as the Lord promised concerning the descendants of David. Now this is what you are to do. A third of you priests and Levites who are going on duty on the Sabbath are to keep watch at the doors. A third of you at the royal palace and a third at the foundation gate. And all the others are to be in the courtyards of the temple of the Lord. No one is to enter the temple of the Lord except the priests and Levites on duty. They may enter because they are consecrated, but all the others are to observe the Lord's command not to enter. The Levites are to station themselves around the king, each with weapon in hand. Anyone who enters the temple is to be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. The Levites and all the men of Judah did just as Jehoda, the priest, ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on duty on the Sabbath and those who were going off duty. For Jehodiah, the priest, had not released any of the divisions. Then he gave the commanders of units of a hundred, the spears, and a large and small shields that had belonged to King David, and that were in the temple of God. He stationed all the men, each with his weapon in his hand, around the king, near the altar and the temple, from the south side to the north side of the temple. Jehodah and his sons brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. They presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and shouted, Long live the king. When Ataliah heard the noise of the people running and cheering the king, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. She looked and there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. The officers and the trumpeteers were beside the king and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets and musicians with their instruments were leading the praises. Then Ataliah tore her robes and shouted, Treason! Treason! Jehoiada the priest sent out the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks and put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest has said, Do not put her to death at the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the entrance of the horse gate on the palace ground, and there they put her to death." Jehoiada then made a covenant that he, the people, and the king would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Then Jehoiada placed the oversight of the temple of the Lord in the hands of the Levitical priests, to whom David had made assignments in the temple to present the burnt offerings of the Lord as written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing as David had ordered. He also stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple so that no one was in any way unclean might enter. He took with him the commanders of hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the temple of the Lord. They went into the palace through the upper gate and seated the king on the royal throne. All the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was calm, because Atalia had been slain with the sword. Song of Songs, chapter 8. If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts. Then, if I found you outside, I would kiss you, and no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, and she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. 
His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy and yielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We have a little sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become, in his eyes, like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Haman. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains." Today, we end 1 Kings to Orient in around 1500 BC, so before Christ. God chose Abraham and Sarah to be the family that is to bear his name, that he will bless and design to be a blessing for all, that he will make a great name for and give provision and progeny. Skipping a lot of detail, we know their son Isaac marries Rebekah, who has Esau and Jacob. And then Jacob marries Leah and Rachel, and they have 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. They are exiled and enslaved by Egypt, and God redeems them with his mouthpiece, largely being from the tribe of Levi, the children of Amram and Jacobed, which is Moses and his older brother and sister Aaron and Miriam. After the Exodus, there is a wilderness period, then a deliverance to the promised land in the center of the world. This blessing was to be a blessing to the whole world. This is followed by the kingdom period in around 1000 BC, which started with King Saul. It was kind of rough, followed by the king of God's heart, King David, and then his son Solomon. After that, we read about a civil split about 800 BC with the kingdom to the north, which is often referred to as Israel and the capital in Samaria, and the kingdom to the south, which is often referred to as Judah, and the capital is Jerusalem. It's been rough so far, lots of unfaithfulness, fallout, and fighting. Dr. Mackey describes how there are about 20 kings in the genealogy of the north and 20 in the south, and out of these 40 kings, roughly eight, just eight, stayed faithful with their allegiance to Yahweh God, and some even were faithful more personally and struggled to implement it completely for all of Israel. This resulted in most of God's people just viewing him as one of the many gods in the ancient world. The people didn't remember We've also been reading in the story how God raises up these eccentric prophets who are calling Israel back to Yahweh, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Today, we read a little overlap to the story from 2 Chronicles yesterday, where Jehoshaphat, who was the king of the south, went to war with the Syrians, also referred to as the Arameans. In that story, King Ahab, which he was the king of the north, dies in the fight, and his son Ahaziah becomes king. 
We learned he was terribly unfaithful and led his people astray in the north and in the south. Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram became king, and remember, he killed his brothers and others, married King Ahab's daughter, yikes, and became so unfaithful in his leadership that God ended him with a bowel disease, and only his youngest son, Ahaziah, survived him. Because of God's promise and mercy, he became king. But his mother, Atalia, who seems to be the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab, so from the kingdom of the north, led him astray, and he was also unfaithful. A prophet Jehu ended Ahaziah's life, and in retaliation and for control, his mother Atalia tried to kill the royal family line of Judah to take control herself. But a daughter of King Jehoram and a wife of priest Jehoiada, the sister of Ahaziah, took her nephew, the king's son Joash, and hid him in the temple of God for six years while Atalia ruled. Yet in this story, she dies by the sword and Joash becomes king of the southern kingdom. Today we ended the collection of lump poems found in the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, which may have been written by Solomon or in the wisdom style of writing he devised. As we end, I'll summarize how in Jewish tradition, this book is often looked at as an allegory of Israel and God. As a reminder, an allegory is a story or poem with a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one, that is drawn out and interpreted. In the Catholic tradition, the allegory of Christ and the church, and in the Protestant tradition, the allegory is about Jesus and the individual. All of these can be meaningful allegories to reflect on, but many biblical scholars also encourage us not to forget the more direct, non-allegorical interpretation of the man and woman in love in the ancient world, which is consistent of Israel, but also other places like Egypt and Babylon. Archaeologists have found similar styled love poetry, but what Dr. Mackey points out is how this love poetry quite frequently uses garden in- imagery uniquely, which echoes the to the origin story of, of Israel, of God, specifically the Garden of Eden story with Adam and Eve. The song, this poem, is a story that doesn't end. Like love, it holds out hope of an unselfish and vulnerable kind of love, a love that points back to our Creator— who gifted us with love, loves us dearly, and offers redemption, restoration, and a transformative type of love that even goes beyond the three Hebrew types discussed in this book, which I drew from Marty Solomon. The first, if you remember, was Raya, a best friend kind of love, where you want to be with someone all the time, and Dode, which is a desire for physical intimacy. There's a passion and intensity to it. Then there's also Ahava, a committed type of love, the decision to act lovingly and show affection regardless of the presence of Raya or Dode, and this is the type of love God calls us to have even for our neighbors. When we get to the Greek words for love, there is more nuance to learn. C.S. Lewis has a book called The Four Loves, which may be worth exploring the Greek meaning of love used in the New Testament, which is originally written in Greek. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. 
Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.